the last Montreal draft Montreal Expos draft pick has retired from professional sports. We'll discuss that. We're going to reveal our top 10 pitching prospects in maybe the deepest pitching prospect system that has ever existed in the history of baseball. We'll talk about the MLB top 10 lists and we will get into more TV talk on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Guardians. I want to say that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com backslash Locked On today to get started. I also want to say uh, thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is you get podcasts. I am Jeff. We got Justin over there. This is Locked On Guardians. No cats present as of now. Uh, so the if you missed it, if you live under rock, the last Montreal Expos, draft pick is tom brady uh the i think a football player right is that what i understand or was it lacrosse maybe it's lacrosse uh he was a catcher at i thought a high he was school. a model uh, i mean is he isn't he that too and in, in my understanding is that probably at some point in time uh he was a 18th round pick of the montreal expos as a catcher Way back in uh, 1995, I was 14. Uh, if you're curious, the top player drafted that year was uh, Darren Erstead. Uh, in that 18th round, Cleveland took Keith Horn out of Arkansas, who they signed. Um, he didn't make much of an impact. Uh, you know, just uh, Tom Brady was actually the final pick in that round because this was based off of the oh, yeah. the, the 1994 season where things went uh, sideways uh, and Montreal had the best record in baseball when the strike happened. So they had the final pick in the the round. It was Tom Brady. Uh, what's funny is the pick before that, Steve Randolph, who went to the Yankees, the only guy from that round who was drafted and signed to make it to the big leagues. And he actually played like a hundred plus games. So good on Steve Randolph. Uh, not so much Keith Horn, right-hand pitcher, Arkansas State University. Uh, Tom Brady is a Junipero, Junipero, Junipero Sarah guy, which if you've listened to the show and heard me talk draft, like that's the number one high school baseball factory in my mind. Uh, apparently it might've even been back then, but yeah, he was a, a catcher for them. And yeah, 18th round pick did not sign uh, other fun, random facts. Uh, one of the lowest signing bonuses in the top 11 picks is a guy who I think should be in the hall of fame. And that's uh, Todd Helton one of the few guys who were in a high pick who did not uh did not get a million dollars he was in uh they didn't have slotting but he was the quote-unquote cheap signing in that first round the other cheap guy under a million in the first 10 picks was jeff jenkins and uh you know they're both up there carrie wood who knows if he had been healthy jose cruz had a nice peak matt morris uh roy halliday you know i think is our only hall of famer and with all of those guys picking towards the end of the first round cleveland took um, David Miller from Clemson, first base only. Uh, a weird pick now when you look at how the draft is done to take a first base only guy who wasn't the best. And uh, yeah, so and you had only 28 teams, so only 28 picks, but there was some draft pick compensation guys, not to Cleveland. Uh, if you're curious about Cleveland in that 1995 draft, before we move on, 
that I I must have clicked on something and I lost it. Uh, they also took Scott Winchester from that uh, that year uh, from Clemson. Uh, Jason Rakers is a guy who we both remembered as a prospect. Uh, Mike Glavin, a name that you might know, and uh, best pick Cody Ransom, one of the rare second rounders to not implode. Uh, yeah, Sean Casey was excellent for this team and not for this team. He's an excellent player who was traded to get Dave Burba, who was excellent for a window. And uh, I don't know. The, the only other funny things is I've often referenced Scott Morgan, who was a Gonzaga college guy who had a lot of home runs in the minors and never got to the big leagues, but it's probably enough on that. Uh, unless you want to do any, you know, you know me, I could spend the next three, uh, three segments just talking about drafts. So <laughs> No, I, I was I was six years old, so I don't have a lot of that recollection from that draft. I don't I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Let's uh, so yesterday we talked about if you if you stuck around to the YouTube portion of the show, and if you didn't, I highly encourage you to go check it out if you're a big fan of the podcast and Guardians pitching and pitching prospects and all that kind of stuff. But we spent I don't know a good half hour, if not longer, talking about the rotations at Triple A, Double A, High A, Low A, and some pitchers to know in the Arizona complex league next year. I mean, we, we literally talked about probably let's see, maybe six or seven, at least seven pitchers per level and maybe even eight. So that's four levels. We probably talked about 32 pitchers yesterday in the after show, literally. So go check that out if you haven't had a chance to, but it was a, it was a fun discussion. If you listen to it, thank you. And if not, um, let us know if you get a chance to, cause we, we spent a good half hour just talking about those uh, minor league rotations. So, we did promise we would give our top 10 pitching prospects today for the guardians. Cause we've been kind of doing prospects um, as we've broken down every position in the system in terms of uh, the prospects, we would give our top prospects and we didn't get a chance to do that yesterday because the extra segment went pretty long and we both pretty much nerded out. So we promised to give our top 10 pitching prospects on uh, the audio and video portion of today's, Show. Do you want to start from the bottom up, perhaps? That might be fun, instead of starting at number one. Sure. I, um, I'll i say this. I had 20 starters in my top 50. And, and that's like, I'm not including guys like Ethan Hankins and Doug Nikhazy that I think are probably going to end up relievers um, who did make it. Like Basically, once you hit 40, all of those guys are, even if they're starters, I project them as relievers. So this is, I mean, it's still like nearly half their prospects from for my rankings were pitching. So I just wanted to kind of outline, outline, put that out there uh, into the world. I said, yeah, uh, should we should we go backwards? Uh, if you've been following, um, I've been doing shorts with my top thirty prospects every day on our YouTube channel. Uh, so you're gonna get to kind of look behind the curtain. Uh, Ryan Webb is not on this list. If you were following along he was prospect 30 and gabby rodriguez is prospect 29 so make sure to check that series out but number 10 who do you have at number 10 i have jacob zibben from last year's draft hmm. he is my 25th overall prospect by the way i have uh Zavion curry who's 21 for me he might end up a reliever and i think there's a pretty good chance of it but i mean he's also i, I like safety and he's got two, you know, average to above average pitches, and he's he's a major leaguer. So I, I value the safety of knowing he's a major leaguer, um, even though I would admit that like you have the ceiling guy there. Yeah, I mean they they really overpaid for. Not I shouldn't say overpaid, but they really they went over a slot lot. to get Zibin 
Yeah, and he's a young, another young player for the class who's got yeah, like essentially a lot of upside. they decided that Zibin and um, Delotter was worth more than Cam Collier. Like that was the decision to make. Yeah, right. They passed that up. So um, at number nine, let's get through five, and then we can go to the top five after number nine. I am going. I went with Jack Leftwich. I I initially thought Jack Leftwich was going to be a reliever. He started last year and he showed some good stuff. Uh, I think there's a chance for him to start now with a good mid nineties fastball. I think there might be more in the tank there. Like like the slider. I like the the way his he thinks about pitching and just overall his approach to working. And it's gonna really depend on the change up in control for him long term. I uh he's my he was my just uh, just missed. He would be eleventh on mine. I have Hunter Gaddis here who is He's he's got a little more velocity. He's got a little more size, and I think his his secondary pitch is is the best between him and Curry, right? It's I mean it's a very similar story with those two guys. So it's it's safety. He's a sure. I think both those guys can pitch ten years in the big leagues. Maybe it's in the bullpen, not as a starter role, but I think they do both have a chance to start. Uh, Who for me, number eight? eight is Parker Messick. Uh, Parker Messick was utterly dominant as a left hand pitcher out of Florida State. Uh, really good secondary offerings. Um, I believe I'm not always the best with the, with my tunneling stuff. I'm still kind of, you know, learning, but I thought he tunneled some of his pitches. Well, that led to some confusion that he, I mean, he just sets everything up. Well, he has a very cerebral mind. Uh, the secondary offerings were just unhittable and I'm betting on a Cleveland bounce here for multiple reasons. He was not a big velocity guy. Uh, he was not an overpowering pitcher. It was all about those secondaries. You've heard us talk on the show. One of the big hits on him in the draft was he wasn't in shape um, or that he wasn't in like elite athlete shape. He's, I mean, he's not like a, uh, he's not like a softball beer league pitcher here or anything. He's just there, there's a level of what they expect pitchers to be. And I will say we've seen through the years, some guys struggle with it. You know, I mentioned Ethan Hankins at the top. There was it, I'm probably lower on him because a lot of my data and a lot of times where I got to get reports and video was before he got back in that like tip top shape before he got hurt. And we've, you know, Dylan Howard's a guy I've talked about where it, pitching seems to be the one place where guys can sometimes get away with not being at peak, but you want to be at peak to stay healthy. You want to be at peak to get those maximum um, miles per hour and everything else. So he's a guy that if he gets stronger, just tightens it up a little bit. I, I don't want to be like a body shamer. Cause look at me, I have no thing to talk about here. I have no room to say anything at all. But when you're talking about getting the absolute elite of the elite, it gives him more growth potential, like getting in shape, getting a little more toned up from just the way the Guardians tone, tone up, tune up all pitching. It's like he has two ways to improve on what is already a really good base. Uh, Messick just missed for me. I have him and Webb and Nikhazy outside the top 10, uh, as much as I like Nikhazy. I have, I'll just go uh, eight and seven here. I have Curry and Gaddis back to back eight and seven. Um, I agree with you. They both could be relievers. I think Curry doesn't have the changeup to start possibly and maybe the size, but the two breaking pitches might give him a chance depending on how he uses them. But he's also got to command the fastball, which is the same as Hunter Gaddis. Hunter Gaddis has added velocity, but he still has to command the fastball because I think the um, it has some ride and carry, but I think there is is a little bit of a lack of uh, – I don't know, deception. I'm not really sure, but anyway, he needs to command the fastball, and the, the, his uh, his breaking balls are not as 
great as Curry's, but he does have that plus changeup. So I have them there just because I think they're good um, back of the rotation starters, but also could be a good reliever. So I have them as just solid major league contributors. That's where I'm at on eight and seven. My seven is Justin Campbell. And it's one of those things where like, I really kind of want to put him higher. You know, he was either 20th or 21st on my board. He was and like, he was, I think he was the top player available when they got him. Uh, Oklahoma state had five really interesting arms and none of them added velocity. They got a bunch of transfers and they didn't see any bumps. It's a good program, but for whatever reason, like Victor Medeiros and some of those guys, we didn't see the state improvement. Justin Campbell, doesn't throw very hard. Like if he doesn't see a bump in his stuff, like we've seen most Cleveland guys, then he's probably a fringy type, but he is exactly, he's the Cleveland mold to a T uh, everything you look at with him. I, you know, I'm going to not go too in depth here to save some for you to talk about. Cause I know you're much higher on him, but I'll just say he fits their mold to a T and he was every bit as productive as Messick with, I think even more growth potential just cause he's also so big. Yeah. Who do you have at six? My number six prospect is, and this is hard. I like really went back and forth, but Joey Cantillo. Um, if we had seen him for a full year, he might be my number four. It, like he could honestly be that high. Unfortunately, we didn't get that full year, but I mean, he was had the lowest hard hit percentage of any pitcher in the upper minors before he got hurt. He was really taking a step forward. Uh, the secondary offerings were, I mean, there's the slider that always had like ridiculous spin dating back to his high school days long and lean, all those things. It just helps. Um, by the way, I did bad math. If anybody knows me, you know, math is not my, my strong suit. And I, I counted wrong. So I actually had Zibin at 11. So I had Leftwich at 10, Curry at nine, Gaddis eight. I have Cantillo at six for the same reasons. Everything is pointing up with him. He just needs a little bit, a little bit of health. And I think we should take uh, a moment here and then dive back in. You'll get our top five. You'll get the juicy names. Uh, in a moment on the show. Uh, but first, let's talk about one of our fantastic friends. And today, our fantastic friend is our newest friend. And you always need some new friends in life. You always need someone who is spicing things up. And that's what FanDuel brings to this party is some spice. Uh, this year, the only app you need for the Super Bowl is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Lockdown because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to the point spread to who will score a touchdown. Um, I know we talked about the Eagles, but they had some rather significant news today uh, that I'm not – it's, like, really bad. Uh, that's going to affect their offensive line. I know it was a pick them, but that might be enough to shift. Like they, they're going to have a heavy cloud on themselves heading into this Super Bowl. Um, so I'm just going to throw that out there. It's it, trying to be as delicate as I can, but boy, it's hard to. Uh, so join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So, so just some behind. Five. Yeah. Oh, top five. Uh, you know, I have Campbell you, there. Campbell's five for me. I, I, okay. like you, you go in depth we, on him. Well, I mean, you, you've covered it pretty well, but I would say for me, 
you had, you had Messick kind of getting the Guardians player development bump. I would say for me it's Campbell, and I don't think he has that far to go. I think they can help him sustain higher velocity because I think I remember him in Oklahoma, talking about or hearing about him in Oklahoma State where the velocity would sometimes dip a little bit. He would be coming in at a lower um, range, and then sometimes it would hit 97. I could see Cleveland helping him sit 95, 96, topping 97, 98. I like the change. I like the curveball. He's a good athlete. He was a he was. I think he came into Oklahoma State as a two way player. I think mm-hmm. there was maybe a season yeah. he had that. So like Logan Allen had that similar bump. So I think that uh, C- Campbell's an easy pick for just to find a quick second gear, and I don't think it'll be that. I think he's a top hundred prospect a year from now. In terms of maintaining velocity, you're hoping is more by be less Burns, right? If we're doing our Tanner scale, he has a better frame than Burns. Like Burns yes. is a little bit smaller of a pitcher. Yes, Campbell I think is six foot seven, so I think that gives yeah, you a little huge. bit more. Which yeah. I don't know. in the past I've argued over six six sometimes leads to more mechanical issues than they're worth. So it'll, you know, it's the the other side of it sometimes with size. But he's the he reminds me kind of in some ways like Sean uh, Jelly used to be, I think he's in the giant system with Kentucky with 6'11", where some guys, in spite of their height, it's like their mechanics are flawless, and he's a guy whose mechanics are pretty flawless. Uh, so he is your five, so I have to tell my five, right? Uh, so mine's Logan Allen. Uh, not as high on him as Kylie McDaniel, who we'll get into that in the after show today. But, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned it either on the after show or in the show yesterday that, like, there's a lot of talk about overreaction or prospect fatigue with someone like George Valera. And, you know, I've learned kind of a lot with uh, Bo Naylor last year where I did overreact, but in fairness, it was, it was about as bad of a year as one can have. Uh, Logan Allen had what a bad month on a transition to AAA that almost everyone except for like Andrew Missy Ozick struggled, struggled with that transition. It's a pitcher or it's a hitters park, a really bad hitters park and a very slick baseball. And a lot of guys stumbled and, I think Logan Allen is in this rotation by the end of the year. I, I think he is, he is kind of, he's likely going to be like a, he could maybe get to that Quantrell level of being like a three, four, but he does it as a lefty, which makes it a lot more valuable. And he's going to miss more bats than Quantrell yeah. as well. I yes. Think. But I mean, just kind of like when you're looking at like pitching tiers, like, is he a one a two? Is he a three? Is he more of that in between three and four? Cause like, I look at that Quantrell and maybe Savale levels, but like, kind of between a three and a four. It's like, I yeah. think Allen's there. I don't think he's really going to necessarily be a strict three type, but I could see him being a left-handed Savali, hopefully with better health. Yeah. He, he does such a good job with the slider and the changeup. Uh, and his fastball has what's what, what people call a flat vertical approach angle, which basically is um, it comes in very, very steep and, or I should say flat. And it, I don't know, it, it makes the baseball appear, like it's moving a lot less in a weird direction than it actually is. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have an interview with somebody coming up that will explain it better than I can, but I'll, I'll let people know about that. But I have, I have Logan Allen just above Campbell at, at, uh, at four. I, I was someone, high on him last year. Did, did you leave someone off your ranks? No, I'm right. I, I was bad at math and I, I started with Zibin, even though he was 11. So I have left foot at 10. Curry nine, Gaddis eight, Cantillo seven, Campbell six, Logan Allen five. Nope, nope, I'm doing math wrong again. Hang on. <laughs> this is like real life right here. Yeah. Uh, Leftwich ten, Curry nine, Gaddis eight, Cantillo seven, Campbell six, Allen five, 
four, three, two. Okay, so I guess I was right the first time. Zibin was 10. Don't ever ask me to do math for you, okay? <laughs> or count. It never ends up very well uh, for me. So I had it right the first time. The... Uh, Oh, you know what? I skipped over I skipped over one player after Allen. So I do have one more pitcher between Allen and the big three. Um, so behind the scenes, Jeff has gone frozen on me. So I'm just going to keep talking until Jeff comes back. But um, I have Cody Morris at number four and my fourth pitching prospect. The only reason I have Cody Morris sitting at number four is because of health. That's the only reason he is where he is. Um Cody Morris had, if he had been healthy in 2021 or 2022 for that matter, uh, I don't even know who qualifies as a prospect. He might end up being a, um, a already in the rotation. Like I, I think Cleveland have, would have less uh, issues with him if he is in the rotation um, or putting him in the rotation if he's healthy. So that's the reason he's still on this list. Like the fastball. The, he's got to find more consistent velocity with the fastball. I think um, that's been an issue. I don't know if that's health, but going back to his days in uh, at South Carolina, he's had some injury issues and ended up not being able to hold his fastball velocity there. And then in 2019, when they drafted him, he, or when he pitched for the first time in the minor leagues, his fastball was kind of 93, 95. And he's gone through a lot of revamping in terms of his, I think body shape and, and his delivery he shortened his delivery quite a bit. Obviously you saw the change of last year was pretty good and he's got a good curveball. I like the curveball. He's added a cutter that should help his, his fastball and slider play better together. Um, or I should say his fastball and curveball play better together. Cause now he's got a little in between pitch, which is always helpful. So Cody Morris, number four, I forgot I skipped him. Uh, number three, I have Gavin Williams, uh, maybe a surprise to some having Williams there. There's some injury history with, with Gavin Williams, which is a concern. You know, there there was, I think, a back issue. I'm not 100% on that. I think I think, I think one of the guys who has a top 100 list, either at Fangraphs or I'm not sure what other outlet might have mentioned a back issue. Um, he did have a blister issue in college, so that was a concern for me. Um, so that's why I have him at number three instead of maybe higher like most people have him. But uh, Jeff's back for us, which is good to see. So I'm not rambling as much, but uh, I still like Williams upside. He could be a number two and number three starter. Uh, we'll just see where the changeup goes, and we'll see where the command goes long term as well, and as long as he's healthy. So, Jeff, while you were gone, I was explaining that uh, I had uh, Cody Morris as my fourth pitcher ahead of Logan Allen. So that's where I was missing the math on. Hey, sorry, everyone. Uh, my computer is being a real pick. Yeah, it looks like we're going to lose Jeff again there. So uh, I have Daniel Espino at number two. I know that's probably a little bit controversial. Um, I'm just concerned about the health with, with Daniel Espino. There's been reports about 2021 where he was kind of shut down at the end of the year with instructs, didn't pitch. Um, so that is a problem. Um, not sure where there's some stuff with that. Um and then obviously last year, he only pitched 18 innings. There were, there were 18, 19 dominant innings last year. But um, if he had been healthy all year, obviously he's a top prospect and he might even be 
talking about being in the majors this year. Had been, he had he been healthy all year last year? So um, that's really the only issue with him is health. Otherwise, he'd be he. I, Daniel Espino is probably the top pitching prospect in baseball if he's healthy last year. Uh, if he kept up what he was doing, so that's the only knock on him. And I, I just have a lot of concerns whether he's going to stay healthy long term. The knee issue turned into a shoulder issue, and it, it sounds like that's not the first time the knee and the shoulder have been issues for him. Um, but, you know, all it takes is one healthy year and everyone's back in on you. I mean, Jacob DeGrom is a great example. Jacob DeGrom was healthy until he wasn't. So uh, it just takes one healthy year. But the problem with pitching injuries is, you know, injuries are the best predictor of future injuries. So that means I have Tanner Bybee as my top pitching prospect, and Tanner Bybee is my top prospect in the organization. I think that there's a lot of good upside in that arm. I think that there's a good chance he winds up a uh, number two or number three starter at the worst. Um, I know, I think some people said that they were, if he can sustain the velocity, I have confidence that he will. He's got three average pitches or better. The curveball, I think will get better. Um, as long as he learns to pitch off the breaking stuff, I think he's a guy who's got to uh, maybe dial down the fastball usage. And I'm not saying he did it a lot. I'm just saying he will probably benefit from throwing the change up. He's not afraid to throw it use the slider, improve the curveball, and then spot the fastball when he can because he can be hard to get on top of. He'll need fastball location. I think that's where his issues might be. So a guy who would definitely would be want to be careful of sequencing. But for Bybee, I like the upside, but I also think the floor is very safe. And that's why he is my top pitching prospect. Uh, and I know Jeff, who is still struggling with technical difficulties right now, would agree. Uh, he has Bybee number one. I know that for sure. So we agree there as usual. Um, we're going to move on to the MLB top 10s. We plan to talk about the top 10 players on the MLB now list. They went through and did all their uh, rankings for all the positions in baseball. And uh, the one, only one real surprise was this. Starting pitching was the one they did today. And Corbin Burns wound up at number one, which everybody knows Corbin Burns is obviously my favorite uh, starting pitcher, apparently, because I won't shut up about him. But he was their top pitcher. No Shane Bieber in the top ten. Uh, Burns, Verlander, Rodon were the top three. Uh, Scherzer, Alcantara, Otani were in there. The bottom four of Freed, Wheeler, DeGrom, and Julio Arias from the Dodgers. I could have found a way to, to fit Shane Bieber in there. Like, DeGrom wasn't healthy at all last year. Bieber was, and Bieber only has only had one season where he's had health issues. Um, DeGrom's had multiple years of health issues, and everybody else, I think, I, I mean, DeGrom is obviously, when healthy, a top three pitcher in baseball, maybe the best, but he hasn't been healthy for a little bit now. I would have probably maybe given a little bit of run to Shane Bieber. Uh, at shortstop, probably no surprise. I know some people might argue differently because they love batting average and volume hits, but there is no Ahmed Rosario in the top 10 at shortstop, and I don't think it's even a uh, a consideration. The other place where Cleveland did play somebody was second base. Andre Jimenez comes in at number three among second base, and he was obviously not ranked on last year's list. So he climbed up the charts really fast. MLB Network really liked him. He comes in just behind Jeff McNeil, who just got that pretty little extension from the New York Mets. We'll talk about extensions in a little bit. Um I don't know if Jimenez is going to get his now, and that might be related to the TV deal. He'll certainly command more than Jeff McNeil because I think Jimenez is going to go on to be a better player than Jeff McNeil, has a better all-around skill set, and McNeil's also older. But uh, number three is a good a good spot to be in. I mean, that's <laughs> second base is pretty empty, and if you look, 
there's a bunch. I think Brandon Lau might have been higher had he been healthy last year. Um, maybe same with Jorge Polanco. He had injury issues, but second base not great. Like Brendan Donovan's on that list. He only played for you know a little bit of the season last year. And then Colton Wong had some defensive issues. He got traded. Kelly Marte's bounced back and forth between second base and, and center field over the last couple of years. So second base is kind of a vast wasteland. So number three, still a comment for Andre Semenis. Um, two other, three other places where Cleveland had players show up. No surprise. Uh, Jose Ramirez is on the top 10 for third baseman. He comes in at number two. He ends up behind Manny Machado, who, you know, no issues there. Manny Machado had a great year last year. He's been a good player for a long time, but I think he really, you know, he was in the MVP race. I know he ended up losing out to Paul Goldschmidt, but he had a very fantastic year last year. Uh, I have no issues with that. I'm really glad he didn't finish behind Austin Riley because there are some people online who will argue that Austin Riley is better than Jose Ramirez. And there are people out there who argue Raphael Devers is better than Jose Ramirez. And I think uh, voting will show you that people will make that argument. But for me, uh, I have no issue with with Machado, number one, and Jose Ramirez, number two. Uh, Nolan Arenado at five behind Raphael Devers kind of surprised me, to be honest. Uh, Bregman, who was not very good last year, still made the list. Max Muncy, who had a terrible year last year, made the list. Gandhi Diaz, old buddy, makes the list at number nine, even though he's more of a first baseman, not great at third base. That kind of tells you how empty the list is. And DJ LeMahieu had injury issues last year, ended up at number 10. So also kind of a light list. No Josh Bell or jo- uh, Josh Naylor in first base uh, for top 10. Hopefully one of them makes it next year, but that's a tough list to crack. I mean, you've got Goldschmidt, Freeman, uh, Vlad Guerrero, Jose Abreu, Pete Alonso, Matt Olson. Ty France who had a breakout year. Nathan Lowe had a great bat breakout year. Luis Arise and Reese Hoskins, you know, Arise is not a power hitter. He's not a traditional first baseman. Uh, Reese Hoskins didn't have his fantastic year, but it's a, um, it's a light list. Center field, obviously, Miles Straw did not make that list. Not a hard list to crack either, though. The bottom two are Mike Kostremski and Chaz McCormick. The rest of the list is pretty darn good. But check that out. Right field, nobody in right field. No Oscar Gonzalez, no anybody else. Maybe one day George Valera or somebody cracks that list in right field. Maybe Chase the Water one day. But that's a tough list to crack, too. Um, the last two positions where Cleveland did have a player, left field, Stephen Kwan, third place in rookie of the year voting, ends up number six, comes in behind Randy Rosarina at five, Taylor Ward at four, Kyle Schwarber at three, who really only played the outfield most of the year last year because uh, Bryce Harper had Tommy John and couldn't throw. So, not Tommy John, but he had a, a, a ligament issue in his elbow. Now he's had Tommy John. So Kyle Schwarber ends up playing more outfield than he probably would have. Juan Soto, number two. Jordan Alvarez, number one, who also is more of a DH. But I don't think they're really making this list based on defense. This is all offense because Michael Brantley's there. He's not been a great defender. Eloy Jimenez was number 10. He's not a great defender. This is a strong list, though. So for, for Stephen Kwan to be number six here, just above Tyler O'Neill, and Michael Brantley. And, hey, my, look at that. Stephen Kwan. Above Michael Brantley. How impressive is that? That's good to see. Hopefully he keeps it up next year and it adds on. Uh, and then, of course, relief pitching is the last place uh, they they ranked. Mano Classe also shows up at number two. Uh, Edwin Diaz, I think, finishes number one ahead of him just on strikeouts. They both have good command. They both have nasty stuff. Edwin Diaz just misses more bats. So and that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, <laughs> Emmanuel Classe, the only days where he does not pitch well is days where uh, he might give up a little bit of a hard hit here or there, but um, he ends up, you know, getting kind of bad up to death. Sometimes he gives up balls in play that end up, 
squeaking through it shouldn't be hit sometimes and it causes him to blow saves and in, in games because sometimes he will rely on some uh, batted ball luck just because he misses less bats but you know he does get ground balls and sometimes those ground balls find eyes and we'll see what happens this year without the shift how that ends up affecting him but this stuff is still nasty comes in at number two um no other guardians on there but it's a tough list there's a lot of good relievers in baseball i mean ryan helsley had a great year for the cardinals last year he's number 10 liam hendricks was fantastic last year except when he faced josh naylor um also you know battling cancer now so best to him Ryan Presley has been one of the game's best for a while. He's on there. Andres Munoz had a great year last year. Jason Adam, who uh, I think he was the one in the playoff game against Cleveland who couldn't feel his hand, or was that Pete Fairbanks? Either way, both those guys struggled against Cleveland late in the year. I think that health issues, uh, but he's on the list, and he just got an extension, I believe. Uh, or no, it was Pete Fairbanks, actually. Yoan Duran, who uh, throws 100 miles an hour, he's on the list. Evan Phillips, who was like a, a DFA merry-go-round a couple of years ago he ends up being the, the dodgers best reliever the dodgers bullpen is a little bit uh shaky right now but uh evan phillips is on there devin williams number three on that list i love Devin williams great player so uh, overall cleveland has the number two reliever on the list the number six left fielder the number two third baseman and the number four i'm sorry number three um second baseman so that's a pretty good list right there it tells you they've got a bunch of positions in the top 10 I don't know if they'll add anybody next year in the top 10. I mean, it'd be great if Naylor or Bell could crack the list. I don't think they will. Um, maybe somebody in right field can emerge. Shane Bieber can get back on the top 10. That'd be good. I don't I don't know if they'll add a second reliever in the top 10. It's a hard list to crack, but they do have a good bullpen. Uh, if Espino becomes a reliever, maybe that's how he does it. I don't know. Uh, certainly probably won't be a shortstop, so we'll see. Um, maybe it'll be a catcher. I mean, catcher could be an area where they end up with a top 10 guy if it's um, Bo Naylor one day, uh, probably not Mike Zanino, but catcher's also a light list. So if, if Mike Zanino has a year where um, he did a couple of years ago with the 30 plus homers, he can end up on that list. So you never know. The last thing I want to talk about today before I move on to the YouTube only portion of the show, which uh, unfortunately is looking like it's just going to be me solo today. Um, the last thing we want to take a look at here real quick is the TV rights deal on impacts on extension. I'll just hit this real quick before we wrap that up. Um, there's been a lot of good articles out there. Ben Clemens at Fangraphs wrote a good article on this the other day and over baseball prospectus. Uh, I want to make sure I get the author's name right. It is Rob Maines who did a good job on this as well. Really broke it down, you know, on the history of the deal, um, the, how bankruptcy works, chapter, chapter 11, all that, all technical stuff. And I don't know. I was having a hard time counting my prospect list before, so don't ask me to do math. But here, here is what it really breaks down to. Um, and I, I would trust these people more than I would trust anybody because these are the guys who can break this stuff down. So in 2023, if whoever TV provider you have has Bally's, uh, you're probably going to see the games as normal. I don't think they're going to be impacted. It doesn't sound like. Um, the real issue is what's going to happen is these teams are going to be paid less. Uh, Cleveland's TV deal was already pretty bad for the current market. Uh, it might have been good when they signed it back when everything ha- when they did sign it when they you know sold the upfront fee to um, Fox and they sold STO, but uh, fans are unlikely to be affected this year in terms of how they're going to watch games. It sounds like, but what it really comes down to is is teams are either going to get less money or they're going to get uh, a, a different contract or they might get 
their their fees delayed. So even if they do get paid, the money could be delayed in how they get it. Someone's going to pay them. It just depends on, you know, if, if the court decides that um, when they go to court for bankruptcy and all this other stuff to renegotiate, depends on what they decide. Maybe an arbitrator decides how much these, these TV right deals end up being worth, how much cash these uh, creditors have on hand or these investors have on hand to pay them. So Cleveland either gets less money or whatever money they get ends up being delayed. It could be both. It says. So I, I, I was thinking the other day, like the Rays hammered out some extensions with Yandy Diaz, with Jeffrey Springs, with Pete Fairbanks. The Mariners just gave Dylan Moore a nice little extension. Jeff McNeil just got an extension from the Mets. So it's extension season. And I tweeted the other day that the guys that make the most sense are Tristan McKenzie and Andre Jimenez, but both guys got pretty sizable signing bonuses, both out of the draft and the international for both of them. And they both ended up making money last year off of MLB's pre-arbitration bonus pools. McKenzie over a million. I'm sorry, Andre Jimenez over a million and McKenzie, I think around half a million for their performances based on war. Um, so they got a little more cash last year, which is good for them because of their performance and Cleveland didn't have to pay it. I don't believe, I mean, they might've paid a portion because everybody puts the money in the pool. But uh, I, I thought that might affect their extensions. But the other thing is, I'm kind of wondering now if this TV rights deal is going to pause them. You know, Jose Ramirez, I think this works out in the team's favor, uh, is making the least amount of money he's going to make in this extension he just signed. This is the lowest he's going to be paid. He makes $14 million, He'll make 17 in 2024. He'll make $19 million in 2025. And then he'll go up from there. So this would have been a great offseason for Cleveland to add payroll around him because um, – he's making the lowest he's going to make throughout this deal. But I think the TV rights extension or the TV rights issue is going to cause them to pause on extension. So I would, I would be, I would at least be be keeping an ear out for that and thinking that, you know, this could impact how they decide to approach extensions. Maybe long-term they're like, okay, but we'll figure this out. We may not have a lot of certainty, but you know, it'll, it'll work itself out in the future, especially if they find the right deal, they won't worry. Games are going to be on TV. I have no idea where games are going to be in the future. Uh, it'll be Valley's this year, it sounds like, or maybe they rebrand. Who knows? But games should still be on any networks that have at Valley's for you. Um, or if you're out of market watching LB TV, you don't have to worry about that either. So uh, speaking of LB TV, YouTube TV drops MLB TV. Boo on them. I might have to drop YouTube TV, but we'll see if they work out a new deal. Uh, nobody works harder to not put their game in front of fans than Major League Baseball, but uh, I think in the long term, this TV issue might be good for fans. It might be bad for how their teams spend money on players because they're going to cry about not having uh, TV revenue. Because, and I will say, TV revenue is what's been carrying a lot of money the last several for a lot of teams. A lot of teams rely on TV revenue uh, more than ticket sales in the last several years because TV rights have exploded. Well, guess what? That bubble's popped. So teams are going to be impacted by that, and they're going to say they're impacted by that. So it could hurt fans in terms of how teams decide to spend on their players. Um, in the long term, though, for consumers, I think it might give them a better chance to see the games, whether that's on a streaming service or however, get rid of local black blackout issues. Maybe that kind of works itself out this way. It sounds like they want to, want to end blackouts. Um it just was always the local TV rights is the reason they couldn't do it. So this might help in the long term. Um, so we'll see. But keep it in, you know, keep thinking about those things, extensions, all that kind of stuff. TV, we'll keep bringing news to you on that. Uh, for Jeff, I am 
Justin, thanks for tuning into the audio portion. I'll run through some ESPN Top 100 prospects on YouTube only. Uh, won't be too long, but uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you download uh, every day. We appreciate it if you do, if you're listening, wherever you listen. Um, if you're able to leave a review, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, share with your friends. Uh, check us out on YouTube as well if you're not subscribed there. Uh, really appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, we were... This is our last show of the week. Again, we'll be back with more regular shows starting on the 13th. Uh, we're back to four and five days a week there. So um, next week will be our last three-day show week. So we'll be back with more regular content as Truck Day comes along. And teams start reporting to spring training on the 13th. Guardians Truck Day is Friday. So um, get excited. We're almost through the the worst of it. So thanks for tuning in and uh, on the audio portion. And, And uh, we'll have a little bit extra on YouTube if you want to head over there. And uh, go, go, Guardians, go.